Oh man, what a nice little tune. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wealth Program Podcast. I'm your host, Thatcher Taylor, and today we're talking about how raising interest rates affects inflation and how that process can affect your retirement plan. I appreciate everyone tuning in. A couple weeks ago on episode six, I gave a full rundown on everything inflation. This essentially could be a supplement to that episode, but now we're going to dive into what the Federal Reserve is doing in raising interest rates to curb inflation and then how that's going to affect your retirement. Make sure to stay tuned until the end where I'm going to give five specific examples of how raising interest rates can affect your retirement. It's not an all-inclusive list, but these are five things that I've found recently could affect the retirement plan very specifically. And while we go through this, I want you to think about a few questions. In fact, three questions that I'm going to give you, and I'm going to ask yourself, and then I want you to ask yourself, excuse me, what is your plan to account for? So here's three questions that I want you to think about as we go through this. Number one is, who here thinks inflation will calm down and when? And then, what's your plan to account for it? Two is, who here has had problems with buying a house? Or what is your strategy and are you waiting? And then, what's your plan to account for the changing environment? And then, the question number three is, have you sat down and put pen to paper on how inflation could affect retirement, specifically your retirement and your goals? And then what is your plan to account for it, if you didn't guess? So again, we're going to go over the basics. We're going to create a baseline. We're going to do a little bit of an educational session on this whole inflation thing that we have going on. So the reason that there is inflation is essentially going to come down in some category to five reasons. The first reason is because over the past two years, there's been an influx of unexpected cash due to COVID relief programs like impact payments, early child tax credits or tax credits that paid early, forgivable PPP loans, student loan payment stoppages, unemployment being relaxed so people could get more unemployment, and people just have more money. Now, I'm not going to debate whether or not those things were needed or not needed, but the fact is here we are today and they happened and it gave people a lot of cash. The second reason that there is inflation is an increase in household demand and people just want to buy more stuff. I call it the slingshot. So people have been stretched so far over the years with low amounts of available spending dollars or excess dollars that when they got cash relief, the Titan band on the slingshot was just let loose, shooting us towards inflation. That's what's happened is people just have more money to buy stuff. Number three is supply chain shortages. The high demand has left suppliers short on the supply of goods and services to meet the demand. You got more money at the time, and this all happened so quickly that suppliers weren't able to keep up. Number four is the war in Ukraine has led to increased fuel costs, obviously. Again, that's something that you all can debate politically, but in general, the limitations on oil reserves and the stoppages on the war in Ukraine has really led to increased fuel costs that we've seen, but that seems to be calming down. And then number five is the presence of a strong labor market. This has put more people in jobs, which puts more money into people's pockets, which gives them more money to spend. So naturally, we can see how companies and businesses we frequent start driving up their prices. It's simple economics 101 supply and demand. And right now, the Federal Reserve is trying to find that equilibrium. But how? How are they doing it? 
Well, the key is in the Fed funds rate. Let's keep going down this rabbit hole just for a couple more minutes. The Fed funds rate is one of the Federal Reserve's key tools for guiding United States monetary policy. Since it impacts everything from annual percentage yields you can earn on savings accounts to the rate you pay on credit card balances, which those have been high nonetheless, so let's kind of throw that out. The Fed funds rate effectively dictates the cost of money in the United States economy, but how? Okay, so within the Federal Reserve, there's a Federal Open Markets Committee, and that committee sets the Fed funds rate, and that's the target rate. That's what we hear about in the news all the time, the target rate. The Federal Open Market Committee meets, they're going to increase rates three quarters of a percent like they just recently did. And that's the guide to overnight lending among U.S. banks. It's set as a range that they can utilize for their lending to their own customers and consumers. Okay, so right now the Fed funds rate is currently at three to three and a quarter percent. And the Federal Reserve has basically said they're going to increase that again here in 2022 and probably one more time in 2023 unless something drastically changed. But here's how it works. Customers, you, I, everybody, we go deposit money into our bank. And those deposits, the accumulation of all the hundreds or thousands of customers in those banks, they accumulate the deposits and those deposits provide banks with the capital needed for extending loans and other forms of credit to their consumers. It could be business loans or personal loans or mortgages, which we'll circle back to. Regulators require that banks and other depository institutions keep a very specific percentage of their total capital in reserves, and that helps guarantee their stability and their solvency. So this is really important. Banks got to have a certain level of solvency, but through the day-to-day activities of them lending money out or new money coming in to pay back loans or paying off debts, who knows, it could be a variety of cash flows that come in and out of banks. They sometimes could be short, I guess I should say, on their reserve requirement. Sorry, I kind of stumbled through that, but don't hate me. So anyway, banks often need to borrow money from other financial institutions or maybe a central bank overnight, literally overnight to meet regulators' reserve requirements, or they may end up with excess reserve cash, or they might end up with too little cash. The Fed funds rates, the target rate provides the reference for institutions as they were borrowing or lending reserves. That's the key right there. So let's say you're a bank and you got some excess reserves, you might lend it to another bank, or you're the bank that's short on your cash reserves and you need to borrow some money. So let's say you, the listener, you're the bank with excess reserves and me, Thatcher Taylor, I'm the bank that doesn't have enough reserves at the moment. So I go to you and I'm like, hey, I need to borrow some money overnight to make sure I can meet my reserve requirement. And you go, yeah, I got the excess, I'll give it to you. And so I borrow from you at an overnight rate, which is the Fed funds rate that is right now at 3%. So I essentially say, I got some more deposits coming in. I need to borrow some money. I'll give you that money back plus that 3% or the overnight short-term Fed funds rate. So this is great. Banks exchange money back and forth. This is really important. This is the baseline foundational rate in our economy. It's controlled by the Federal Reserve and the Federal Open Market Committee. So how does that get to us? That's the big question. Where does it go next? So if these banks, you and I are lending between each other for 3%, that's how much we're going to charge each other at the very baseline level to borrow money to meet our reserve requirements. That's that 3%. 
we're going to do what's called a plus scenario. So you maybe have heard this where if the Fed funds rate is at 3% and let's say your bank is lending to its best customers, your bank is lending to its best customers for 6%, that 3% difference is the plus rate that I'm referring to or prime. This is what you hear a lot about when say you're going to get a mortgage and you hear people talk about what's the prime rate. Well, the prime rate is the Fed funds rate or 3% plus the additional rate that the banks are going to make off the Fed funds rate or 3%. So the prime rate, prime is the best rate that's lent to the best customers with the best repayment history and the best credit is going to be essentially 6%. That would be their best loan. That's prime. And then the bank can even tack, tack more onto that. Excuse me. If you're a, a bad borrower, you don't have great credit history, they may tack a little bit extra. That's why we see mortgages right now at 7%. The Fed funds rate plus a little extra for the banks to make money because they got to make their money. And that's the prime rate. And then they may even tack a little bit on for poor credit history or bad borrowing or bad repayment history, whatever it may be. So less qualified borrowers. That's how the banks make money. That's how it bleeds all the way down to us. Or at least with any other product or service, say, for example, credit cards or car lending. We've seen a lot of car purchasing here lately. So that Fed funds rate is essentially the rate that starts the process for any lending services used for cars. Say there's a private lender or say there's customer financing for any Toyota, Ford, Chevy dealership. They're going to add a little bit extra onto that Fed funds rate to cover any of their loans to consumers. The last thing I'm going to mention about the Fed funds rate and prime rate and the rates we receive, that's why they're perfectly correlated. If the Fed fund rate goes up, the bank's lending rates are going to go up. The prime rate's going to go up and the rates that they offer their customers is going to increase. Man, that's exhausting, but that's the path. In a nutshell, that's how it works. It's not really too complex once you really start breaking it down. So now the next question is, How does that Fed fund rate impact the economy? We touched on it with now it creates more expensive borrowing because the rates come up, but how how else does it affect us? This also can affect us when we're talking about treasury yields. So if we want to use some bonds or some short-term treasuries in our investment portfolios, it's going to affect treasury yields as well. In addition, it's going to affect a lot of business, government, and mortgage-backed securities and how their credit is priced. So on a more complex level, when it comes on an investment standpoint, treasury yields, business borrowing, government and mortgage-backed credit can really be affected by high rates and don't operate the same like they have the past 10 or 12 years with really low rates. So the last piece of our little lesson here is there's eight federal open market committee meetings every year. They're policy meetings. And they basically evaluate the entire economy, the landscape, and where they want to go or where we need to go. And they use these rates as levers to either tighten our economy or loosen it. Over the last 50 years, the Fed funds rate has varied from a low of 0% to a high of 20% depending on how they really wanted to manage the economy. You remember the 20%. 
It was back in the 80s when interest rates were extremely high. Everyone was scared because they needed to battle double-digit inflation. But in 2008 or the recession, even sometimes in the 2010s, the interest Fed funds rate was at 0%. So it was extremely low to help revive or loosen the economy so we could grow coming out of the recession. So just to reiterate, central banks, they raise interest rates to slow the economy by making borrowing less attractive. So that means people have a little bit less money in their pocket because they don't get money from all these different sources or borrowing. And that means fewer people will borrow. And remember, if they really want to speed up the economy, they'll drive interest rates way down. So it's easy to flood the marketplace with extra money because borrowing is so low. Because when I go to the bank and I borrow excess money, I got to make a deal with the bank that I promised to pay that money back with a little bit extra. If rates are really, really low, that means I have to pay back far, far less. And I'm going to describe this in a quick example. So let's say 18 months ago, you wanted to buy a $500,000 house. Let's say you had the money, you're going to put 10% down and the loan term was for 30 years and your interest rate was 3.25%, including property taxes and insurance. I'm not including PMI. Let's just leave that out for now because we wouldn't know exactly what it would be, but your total out of pocket for that would be $2,583. That means you had to pay back $450,000 because that's what you had to borrow from the bank or the lender. And the interest that you had to pay back was $255,000. So let me repeat, $2,583 was your monthly payment. Your down payment was $50,000. So you had to get a loan for $450,000. You had to pay that back plus interest and the total interest paid back would be $255,000. So remember that $255,000 number, which I'll circle back to as well. But now, scenario two, right now, fast forward to today. Scenario one was 18 months ago. Now we're back to today. The exact same house, $500,000 with 50% down over 30 years. Now you're at a 6.25% interest rate. Your new monthly payment is $3,000. Three hundred and ninety-five dollars. That means you still borrowed four hundred fifty thousand bucks from the bank. That's the promise to pay back. Plus, your interest now goes to five hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars. You have to be kidding me. Just reading this is blowing my mind. By a three percent rate change on a five hundred thousand dollar house, the interest that you got to pay back is close to three hundred thousand dollars more. Do you understand what that means for the banks? they're going to make potentially a killing off the houses or the lending that they do. Now, this is just a mortgage example because mortgages have been so popular and everyone's talking about the housing market, but that's one thing the Federal Reserve has specifically mentioned is they want to slow down the housing market. So this is a little bit of a lesson when it comes to mortgages. When interest rates go up, historically, mortgage prices go down because it has to find what I mentioned before in the supply and demand economics 101, we have to find equilibrium because not only do you have to pay almost $300,000 in interest back over the life of your loan, but your mortgage payment is $900 a month more with such aggressive increase or change in interest rates. Now, this is just an example, but this carries over to anything that has an interest rate attached to it that you got to pay back to a bank or lender. So how does this affect you and I? How does this rise in interest rates curb inflation? Well, we just discussed it. 
when there's really easy money to be had and really low payments that have to be paid back to banks and lenders, we have more cash laying around. But if everything becomes more costly, we're going to hang on to our dollars and we're going to spend less. One, because we don't have as much because we buy big houses that cost us way too much with a lot more interest or we take out loans with a lot more interest. That reduces our cash flow because we're paying more in interest payments. But also becomes because things become more expensive, we are going to spend less. That means we're going to buy less of goods and services. And like we discussed before, that supply chain is going to become more readily available. And the inflation or the inflated products, the prices are going to start to slow down or pull back a little bit. But why does everyone keep talking about businesses? Well, inflation affects businesses because workers need increased pay to cover the inflated cost of living. So the business's costs increase to cover payroll costs. Now to cover those costs, they have to increase their costs to cover revenue. It's a vicious cycle if not controlled properly and that's what the Fed is trying to do. They're trying to find that equilibrium that we've mentioned. So now we're to how does that affect retirement? There's a few reasons that this whole process could affect retirement and I'm gonna go over five. The first one is the stock market. The reason I just planted that seed about businesses is this process can really scare people in the stock market because we don't really know how it's going to affect businesses in their long-term growth and revenue outlook. So if businesses are struggling, that means the publicly traded stock of theirs is potentially struggling, which means if you're invested for the long term, your portfolio could be struggling too. But the first thing you need to be aware of is a lot of this stuff is short term and very cyclical. Interest rates go up, interest rates go down. But I told you this is a part of monetary policy. We've known for a long time that this is a lever that the Federal Reserve can pull to manage situations like this of rising inflation. So you just need to have a good strategy associated with your investment methodology and your investment accounts. Number two is unemployment is low right now. So you have the ability to go out and get a job. And I should say, when I talk about all these things and they could affect retirement, some are good and some are bad. But if you're trying to get a side job or a second job in retirement, unemployment is low right now. It might be a good time to get your foot in the door. But one thing they're trying to do is they're trying to actually bring unemployment up a little bit, which is something that could happen. Next is inflation keeps going up. So that means it's higher cost for goods and services, including food. A lot of retirees are on a very tight income stream that they've either created on their own or it's either guaranteed through pensions and Social Security. So rising inflation could really hurt the cost and your budget and your wallet in the event that you need to buy things and it becomes too expensive for you. One good sign might be there could be a cost of living adjustment coming for Social Security. Maybe your pension will have a cost of living adjustment that could be really valuable for you. That's one silver lining, but Inflation does make things more expensive for sure that could affect us. Next is mortgages on a second house. We've talked a lot about mortgages. That was my main example here in this podcast episode. But a lot of times retirees have goals of I want to have a second house. I want to have another home in a different part of the country. I want to winter somewhere. I want a summer somewhere. I want to have a lake house. Or maybe you need to buy new cars. Big purchases can be a lot more expensive due to inflation and the change in interest rates. So something to be aware of as you plan from year to year on how you're going to distribute income to make sure to cover the cost for your retirement. 
And then lastly, number five, other lending or costs or goals like healthcare, college education for grandkids, even travel costs could be inflated. So the borrowing or the needs or the usage for those type of big items could be a lot more expensive for you, which could affect your retirement plan as well. So really be aware that there's a lot of things that these could affect. It's nothing to be scared of. If you're planning properly and you're preparing and you're evaluating your goals for the long term, not just right this second. All right, I'm about to get off my soapbox, but I just want to say one way we can really manage this is create the proper expectations. Maybe turn off the TV and get off social media. And the reason for that is, is they're embedding our brains with really toxic activity. I think I said this on the last podcast. I watched CNBC for five minutes and over five minutes, they said recession nine times. They're trying to implement fear. That's why the market is very irrational right now. Irrational investors are really going to make unusual decisions in times like these. So make sure that the decisions you're making and the emotions you're feeling are tied to your goals and your purpose and what you want out of this. If you have any questions or you need help through this process, I specialize in the 50 plus second half of life pre-retirees and retirees in managing their retirement preparation and distributing assets and making income in retirement. These things, inflation, interest rates are things that I account for my planning. If you have any questions, go down in the show notes. You can email me directly or go set an appointment at propathfinancial.com slash contact and we'll be able to chat more. I'll also put that link in the show notes below. Thanks for listening. Pay attention to the next podcast. Make sure to follow right now if you're on Apple or if you are on Google or if you are on Spotify, make sure to follow so you get the next podcast. They're coming out weekly. Let me know if you have any questions in general, if you have any feedback about the show. Thank you so much for listening and take the time. We're 22 minutes in. We'll chat soon. See ya. listening to today's episode. Take a look at the show notes for links to all the topics that were discussed and stay tuned for the next episode as they're going to be dropping weekly. Make sure to subscribe and go to www.propathfinancial.com to learn more. The information provided in these podcasts is only to be considered helpful hints and education. Nothing said in any of these podcasts is to be misconstrued as specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Consult with your tax, legal, or investment professional before acting on anything discussed on these shows.